Hello and welcome. Is your business your mission and your mission your business? If yes, you found your tribe. Whether you feel like it or not, you are avant-garde, going your own way, making your own path, doing it like no one has done before. And the answers to the challenges you're facing aren't in a book. My friend, you are not alone. This is the Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Trisha Bailey, a mission-minded serial entrepreneur and traveler. My purpose on this earth is to use my authenticity and passion to equip and empower social entrepreneurs to live in their highest calling, feeling freedom, fulfillment, and security, and inspiring others to do the same. Join me for stories, tips, and tricks for taking avant-garde inspired action in your business so that you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. I believe it doesn't have to be hard to be right. Welcome to episode 34 of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur. I'm so glad you're here today with me, my friend. We're in the middle of a series featuring very special avant-garde entrepreneurs who I consider to be friends and who have a lot of wisdom to share with you. Part of what makes the first two avant-garde entrepreneurs in this series so special is that they are founding members of the Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Academy, which launches again this August. They are avant-garde entrepreneurs in every sense. In episodes 32 and 33, you met Aisha Bello from Nigeria. She's the executive director of Voice of the Girl, Child, and Vulnerable People, as well as the co-founder of Guard Up App. This is a mobile app that is being used to increase the physical security of women, girls, and vulnerable people. I wanted you to meet Aisha for several reasons, but three in particular. First, Aisha is in the process of shifting her organization from nonprofit to social enterprise. Notice I said, in the process. It's just as valuable for us to hear from someone who's still in the process, in the fire, so to speak, as it is from someone who's done it, who's finished, who's out of the fire. I wanted you to hear Aisha's challenges how she looks at them, and how she overcomes them, which she freely shares in her interview. Second, Aisha has done what so many talk about but never actually do. She designed and launched an app. Oh my gosh, how many times have you heard someone say, I should create an app, I should make, or they should make an app for that. And Aisha's app called Guard Up has video and voice recording features so that crimes can be proven, which is often the challenge, this gives the ability to prove them. And they're close to having geo-tracking that increases the ability to rescue victims. Third, Aisha is getting to the root issue of sexual-based gender violence, which is crime. And she's actually creating solutions to help women and children keep their autonomy by offering job training. She's not blaming or complaining. She's doing it. She's tackling the tough systemic issues. My friend, you can too. The second very special avant-garde entrepreneur you get to meet in this series is David Wampumpa from Uganda. And David is equally as fascinating to me as Aisha, but for different reasons. David is on the complete opposite end of the profit to nonprofit spectrum of social enterprise as Aisha. He's a business guy first. 
Like some of you, David didn't start off considering himself a social entrepreneur. He was building his first startup business step-by-step. Then one thing led to another. David is the CEO of Able State, where he connects top-tier companies across the globe that need web development with top-tier web developers, empowering them to have the job of their dreams. David is an IT consultant, a technical writer, app developer, and web designer. He's also the author of a book on coding, of all things, which is a complete mystery to me, the coding world, and he's an expert at it. And his book is called A Complete Guide to Industry Front-End Web Developer. Most of all, David is a mentor. He's an advocate for girls in STEM, as many of you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. He's paving a path for young women and men who lack education or a computer to develop technical skills in computer sciences to have the career of their dreams. David is also an integral part of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Academy as both a strategic planner and course facilitator. Early on, David consulted with me to develop a pricing structure for the Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Academy that makes joining affordable for and attainable for most African and Asian young people. Now, he teaches the course within the academy on financial statements. So he teaches avant-garde entrepreneurs the basics of financial statements, including what they are, what's in them, and how to create them. I've been in business for 20 years, and I learn from David when I hear him teach on this subject. He's also a great collaborator with the other founding members. You may have heard David's name before because Aisha spoke of him in one of her episodes. On one of our live monthly calls, we were just having an open discussion. She and David took it offline and did some really cool stuff together. What makes David most unique is not what he does. It's how he's gotten to where he is with character and integrity. In my opinion, he is the king of making it with what you have, even if it's nothing. He's an old soul. He's kind of like a 20-something-year-old grandfather. And if I had to look at David's life, what he's been through and how he helps people now and could use only one word to describe it, it would be this, perseverance. He has this incredibly unique combination of qualities. He's both creative and analytical, as well as precise and thoughtful. Usually someone is creative or analytical and then, you know, very precise and detailed or very open and thoughtful. David is all these. And I'm so honored that he's brought all of his wonderful qualities, his old soul, and his gift for mentoring and sharing with us today. David, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad for the opportunity and uh, for such a wonderful introduction. Wow. (laughs) It's exciting to hear from you, Tricia. And uh, I'm so happy to be on the podcast. Well, we are so happy to have you here. So David, I know a little bit about you, but the rest of the world doesn't know a little bit Mm -hmm. about you. So I would love it if you would tell us about yourself. Tell us, you know, where did you grow up? What was your family life like? Oh, wow. Where to start? Probably uh, like, you know, most African uh, young people. What happens is that I was given to birth in Kampala, where I live, by a couple, which I think wasn't really ready to be in a marriage and wasn't really ready to have a child. But hey, they had me 
And uh, I was given birth to in a humble clinic on the same street or village as you may relate to it. Fast forward, time came to go to school. I don't know how old I was, <laughs> but all I can uh, remember is that sometimes in kindergarten or nursery school, somewhere in the middle, I did not see my mother anymore. Not that she had died, but later I learned that she had separated with my father. So when they separated, life became a little bit difficult for me because my dad got another lady to be his wife and my mother. So this is a person we relate to as a stepmom. But in the African setting, we are too social, and especially in Uganda. So we address such a person as mom. So I remember asking her what her name was, is, and she was like, I'm David. So I got so excited. You know, we had three Davids. My dad is David. I'm David. She's David. And I think at that age, you do not actually have a separation between female and male. That's what I think. But I think in the middle of the process, in the middle of their development of their relationship, I think we started to struggle for resources. So somehow I stopped going to school. My aunties say that, uh, that the lady or my stepmother was proposing to my dad that, you know what, let David pause school a bit so that we can get money to construct the house. Because we lived on a place I think the house wasn't really well. <laughs> I don't remember, but this is these are things I had. So I didn't really get the chance to to study as young as other young people. So I paused a bit, I think for a year or two. And uh, the reason I'm sharing this is that for me, that was a real, real life-changing moment in my life. It would change all my life from that age to now. I think by that time I was about, I believe that must have been between six and eight years, you know, and most of my age mates were, had already gone to upper classes. They had left kindergarten and nursery school. They had already gone to primary school. So for me, I'm at home. And um, in Uganda, when a parent dies or when anyone dies, especially those who have children, they organize something called the last funeral service. After burial, they take a few, a couple of days or months, and uh, as resources may allow, to do this service. So they were doing a funeral service for my grandpapa. The grandpapa was the father to my father. Or I can say the grandpapa on the father's side. And... Um, what happened is that my auntie, a sister to my father, claimed while in this funeral service, in the middle of a lot of people, because, you know, we are, it's a social setting. I can tell you this must have been more than 100 people, you know, because they are doing the final send-off and they are doing, they are putting up someone called the heir or someone who is going to inherit the deceased property and responsibility. And this person would be my father. Then my auntie said, you know what? David's dad does not want to pay school fees for David. So since David's dad has gotten, has been given some houses where I can uh, have tenants and pick some money for rent, 
I would propose that they give me responsibility of one of those houses so that I can take the money to school for David. And uh, I think everyone bought into the idea. And yeah, <laughs> I got in the chance. <laughs> yeah. So I went back to school. And I remember when I reached school, all my friends were in upper classes. So I started crying. I wanted to be with them in the same classes. And teachers were like, no, David is young. David has skipped classes. Or it's better, let's put him in the lower class where he was. But I remember there was a teacher who knew my family better, and I think she totally believed in me. So she told all others that, you know what, I think David wants to study with his friends, okay? Let's give him a chance. Let's give him an interview. If he passes, he goes to those classes. Oh, my God, I passed. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I passed. My aunt was really happy, and I joined the classes. So I was as if I never skipped a year or so of non-studying. But this also brought some academic performance issues because I remember when I reached P3 or primary three, I performed the poorest in my life because I think I had knowledge gaps here and there. Mm -hmm. But I was really, really happy that I was still advancing. And as time went on, okay, I'm going to school, but I'm having struggle with uh, my stepmother and, uh, and the father does not really give me time. So, you know, as a child, I think you see your father as a hero. Everything that is wrong, if it's done to you, you report, you know, and this brought a disconnection mm-hmm. between him and me. So I think as a child, I started feeling like I'm not loved, I'm not connected to the father. And I started crying that I wanted to go and stay at my granny's place. It was at the neighborhood, but I didn't know that all I wanted was peace. I didn't know that at the granny's place was also, they had, they also had limited resources. So, but I kept on disappearing from home, from my father's house to my auntie's places so that I hide there so that I cannot be, receive anything like discouragement or mistreatment from whoever was at my dad's place. And when this went on over and over and over, the village chiefs, they call them chairman chairman and uh, vice chair, so on such titles, they intervened and they asked me, where do you want to live? And I said, I want to live with at my granny's place. But the granny had passed away some years. So that this place, there was another person who is an auntie and I'm glad that she's still alive and I still stay with her. So this person, I was allowed to go and stay with her, but she was was born with a sickness known as, or illness, known as sickle cells. Mm. It's a real terrible illness. You don't want to be around someone who has it. They are not brutal or whatever, but they are in real, real pain. Real pain. I thank God that she's around 40 seven years now, and she's alive. And majority of the people who have that illness die at about between the age of five and the age of 18. Majority in my country die at that age, but she's still alive. She's a staunch Catholic. I'm a born again, but I, but we all <laughs> serve God and I'm really happy. So here where I, where I, I came to cut a long short, I, I was able to complete my 
primary education, went to all levels in, high, in secondary school. Actually, I completed my primary education with the first grade, and the school I was going to it was among the poorest schools in the place because kids from other schools could laugh at us. We were speaking all broken English than them, and it was mandatory to speak English at school. So if you did not know how to speak English, write English properly, it meant you were going to perform poorly. It meant you could not fit into society. It was really hard, but we made it. And uh, I remember my father telling me one day, because in primary six, primary six is the, the second last class in primary education in Uganda. So this is when they determine whether the, the child is going to perform well or has chances of performing well or not. So I got 19% in mathematics. Woo. 19%? 1-9? 19, 1-9. Oh, my. <laughs> and, and this is the third term. Mm-hmm. This is the third term. So everyone was like, oh, no. <laughs> this is a dumb kid. <laughs> then my, my dad came to my auntie's place, was really disappointed, and he really... And frogged me or buttoned me or caned me, something like that. Yeah. So it was a terrible night for me. And, uh, but luckily, when I went back for the P7 in first term, I tried to, I tried to adjust and because I knew that life is, is difficult for me. If I don't perform well in the national exams, I'm going to be the biggest loser. And uh, also the school helped because they brought in a teacher who was a little bit youth. He was a little bit, he looked to be a young man and he was jolly, he was kind, you know. And that character of his, I I want to find this teacher because I would give him a gift. I told the people, the, the, the obbies, that if you know that teacher and you know where he is, even if I give him one dollar to appreciate what mm. he did, because it really inspired me. And that's how I was able to get a D. I think I got a D to a desert division. And uh, in and it, the, the one I got is the next to the best. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, to be among the first graders in that school. There were only 16. We were only 16. I think from about 70 kids or 100 something kids. This episode is brought to you by Avant-Garde Entrepreneur Foundations, where you can go from contemplation to clarity in just six weeks. How incredible does that sound? By learning to tap into the superpower of your spirit, you'll feel refreshed in your mind, certain of your mission, and inspired in your business. Go to trishabaileyphd.com forward slash A-G-E-F dash waitlist for more details. You can also find the link here in the show notes. So only 16 so, of you made it? Only 16, 16 of us got the first grade. Wow. Okay. You know, because they are like first grade, second grade, third, third, fourth, until the total failure, mm-hmm. the one they consider complete failure. Mm-hmm. So I don't know those ones who got the complete, but majority of them were in the second, mm-hmm. minimum of us were in the first. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, I told myself that I'll never get anything like a second grade again. Mm-hmm. And I will always be in the first grade. That's what mm-hmm. I promised myself. Mm-hmm. So here, my parent, had, my father promised me that if I get a first grade, because I think 
by my performance, he thought that I would never. So he told me he would take me to any school I want and buy me anything. I really admired a bicycle and I admired it to study from a better school. So I asked him, are you sure? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, are you sure? Will you buy me a bicycle and take me to a school? The school I wanted was called Hodi Kampala, Hodi Kampala Second, Senior Secondary School. And you required it to take a taxi or private means of vehicle transportation to get there. So I got the first grade. I came back very happy. And every, my aunties, my, my friends at school, the people at the neighborhood, they were all happy because all of them saw my struggle. All of the people in the community saw my struggle. Some of them even had, their children were not really struggling, but they were not as smart, you know, as me. So the neighbors admired me, but as uh, they admired me more than maybe the parents did. So when I got the first grade, they, they were very happy. And I waited for my father to fulfill his promise. Which actually he tried. Now, at that time, I, don't, I could not understand that he tried, but now I understand that he tried. So when it was like, oh, actually, David is smart. And he said this before me and the stepmother. But if I try to recall his facial expression and body language, it shows me that he never wanted. He was excited to show me that I'm brilliant. But it was also in the middle of not wanting to show his wife that he's really so proud of me. Oh, wow. You see? Yeah. So at that moment, it's so hurting that at that moment, I did not understand it. Mm-hmm. But now, as an adult, I understand it. And I try to, because now, like you mentioned, that I'm a mentor, so on and so forth. So I've understood people's behavior somehow. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I've known pretense a bit, and yeah, so that's how I'm able to understand it. But so I went on, went to secondary school, and the second the, he tried to take me to the school I wanted. The school accepted me. They were really happy. This kid is going because at primary I was I was uh, so much interested in a game known as soccer, what mm-hmm. they call football in England. I was so much interested. I was a soccer player changing from this number to this number, from this position to this position. In fact, when I started to do computer things, some of the people in the village were disappointed because they were like, you were throwing away your talent. Oh, they thought that you should be a soccer football player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Mm. thought I should be a soccer football Mm -hmm. player and I should maybe go to the national team, you know. Mm. Unfortunately, I cannot show you pictures because... We never documented. I don't know if there's anyone on the village who has <laughs> photos or whatever. Because for me, I did not have anyone to follow me up. Mm-hmm. Like maybe how uh, in the modern society and in the Western world, how they do it. You find that during those times, smartphones were not there, especially mm-hmm. in my country. But anyway, it took me to that school. The school accepted me and I thought I was going to go to it on Monday because we were at the school on a Friday, so I thought next month I'm starting. He actually even bought me some clothes which were looking like the school uniform. All they lacked was the badge. So that made me know, yeah, now my dream. And I was ready that if I go to this school, they are going to be proud of me. So the, the Monday 
I don't know if this has ever happened to you. <laughs> but when you were a child and you are promised something or are excited about something, you literally don't sleep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was supposed to be at school at about 7 a.m., but I think I woke up at 2 or 3 a.m. <laughs> And I was really dressed. You know, but, <laughs> but whenever I could <laughs> whenever I could look outside the house, uh-huh. it's still dark. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think by about 6:30 or 5 or 6 a.m. I walked because my father stayed at uh, his neighbor. I walked to his house. Yeah, and they opened for me and I sat in the coach. <laughs> to wait for transport money so that I go to school, you know. Oh, my father, you know, I saw him moving around the rooms, you know, in his uh, towel. And I'm like, okay, maybe he's just preparing because he's also going at work. Then he gives me the transport. Oh, my God. I was given the news that I should do. <laughs> I should sit there and wait for my mother to talk to me. But I'm referring to my stepmother, mm-hmm. Okay. So my dad left for work and I had to talk to her and uh, she told me, oh, David, it's unfortunate you cannot join the school that you want because it would be very expensive for transportation and you are young. You maybe get accidents along the way. Mm. Oh my gosh. Oh, David. Wow. How you old know, were you? I know you were at secondary school, but give... Give us an idea yeah, because school think, systems are different around the no, world. Yeah. By that time, I'm, I'm 14. 14. Mm. Yeah, I'm 14. So I tried to hold it deep because it was ready, you know. And I think also the effect of me hearing people saying David is not, David is underprivileged, David is this. I think also that traumatized me a bit because being a male, I don't think that it would have treated me like it treated me. Mm-hmm. I lost all my masculinity and I was like, okay. So I walked out of the house and went somewhere and cried, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and cried I could, because I never wanted to cry before her, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and I stayed home. I went undressed and stayed home and I started thinking about it, seeing your colleague, your fellow colleagues, even those who performed the poor going to school and you at home. Then the same auntie who, who made sure that I go to primary school came in again and she's like, David, you have to go to school. I spoke to your dad and we're gonna, I'm going to go with you to a school and we choose another one. So I was like, okay. So we went to another school and this school is a village away from where we stay. So that means I could see the kind of students who go to that school and this, they were, to me, they had traits that I did not like or behaviors I did not like. So I was not really proud. And while in the office, there is, uh, I think someone called a BASA. She's telling us how, what this costs, what requirements we have to bring. And for me, I'm just in the room looking at the school like this. And I broke into tears again mm-hmm. because I could not believe it that this is, yeah. So she was like, you know, she played psychology on me by telling my auntie, David is young. Maybe you take him back to primary. You know, because why would he be crying if he's not young? You know. Oh, oh my gosh, God. David, you had years of tears, like 
stuffed inside and they just all came out. Yeah, yeah. So for me, oh. I just did this. like, oh, <laughs> And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to study, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and uh, they accepted me in that school because, I mean, for a first grader, every school wants you. So I went mm-hmm. in that school, started. Luckily, I got some friends. Uh, allow me mention them. One of them is called Bwete George William. We are no longer in touch. And another one is called Hamza Mtawe. We are in touch. These are the, the two people for why I managed to stay at school. Oh. You know, they were friendly to me. We both had uh, the, the interest for soccer. And they were supporting uh, a foreign team known as Manchester United. I was supporting Arsenal Football mm-hmm. Club. But we could, you know, we could get along and have fun. And so I stayed at school and finished my O-levels. And still in the O-levels in the national exams, I made the wow. first grade again. Oh, wow. You made the best yes. grade. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So after that, I could not continue education or academics. At O-level in Uganda, the child either goes to A level for two years, which mm-hmm. can help him or her qualify to university, mm-hmm. or they can go to like maybe a technical school, which many people don't like, because if in Uganda if you go to a technical school, it means you are going to create a job. It will be very hard for you to be employed in an established company and you get the salary you want. You will be as if you are missing something. In fact, many political people and many rich people in Uganda have opted to go back to school and do a levels so that they can have either the paper or the, uh, how do we call it, the qualification. Yeah. So for me, as much as I had the first grade, dad was like, you know what, David, you choose to go to a level, but if you go to a level, you may not get a job because you may not never go to university. Mm-hmm. And uh, even me, I was like, if I go to a level, which is very difficult, and I don't perform well to get government sponsorship because the government uh, scholarships are highly competitive. Mm-hmm. And for me, my our family could only afford uh, the day. I don't know if I can bring, bring this across clearly, but it could only bring, it could only afford the day schooling. Mm-hmm. So day schooling is when you are studying from home to school, from home mm-hmm. to school. And I did not have any holder who can help me revise Mm-hmm. you know, whatever I study at school. So I really, I was afraid if I go to a level, how will I perform, you know? Because these are few subjects, but you have to study as a mature person. And by this time, I was about 16 or 18 years, 16, mm-hmm. between 16 and 18. And still I'm like, the decisions I was making, I was as if I'm a child, maybe because I missed some parental care or something. Mm-hmm. So I just... I lost the esteem or the confidence to go to a level. And I was the one convincing my dad that I should go to the technical school. Not because I really never wanted to go to a level, but because I looked at all the challenges and I'm like, I can't make it, you know? So when I went, uh, so the dad was like, okay. So I went, uh, he wanted me to go to a catering or metal fabrication school so catering or metal fabrication yeah metal fabrication i think we would call welding yes yes. catering is cook like a cooking 
Yes, Jeff. Yes, okay. And because because for him, he had ever worked at an hotel as mm-hmm. a driver. Mm-hmm. So I think he admired his colleagues who, who are chefs. So mm-hmm. for me, no, cooking is not for me. Yes, mm-hmm. I can do some cooking. <laughs> but... <laughs> you like to eat, but not to cook. <laughs> I'm not a foodie as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I have to be honest with you. I'm not a yeah, foodie. Not a foodie well, either, but, yeah. Yeah, people at our office struggle with me to have food. So for me, I never liked it. And I went to, uh, but during my O-levels, I had already uh, discovered computers through a friend Mm -hmm. who was going to a computer school and uh, it's called Ivan Sessions. He one day asked me to escort him at uh, an internet cafe because, I mean, majority of homes did not have computers and internet. So we could only go to an internet cafe, pay for an hour or 30 minutes or 20 minutes and do th- something. So I and Ivan supported Arsenal. And during the transfer period, we wanted to be the first to know which players as Arsenal bought. So for him, he knew a trick that you could go to internet and search. Mm-hmm. But this is something that I did not know. So he asked me to escort him. We went. And this was like a miracle to me because... <laughs> He was typing on the computer. I don't even know what the machine is called by that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. It has keyboards and whatever we read on the screen, when we were leaving the internet cafe, they gave us a paper. So which had these things we were reading on the screen. And I touched my head and I'm like, what? Is this how they make newspapers? <laughs> David, like many of you, has an incredible story of perseverance and overcoming and making it happen even when you have nothing to make it happen with. He's got so much wisdom and insight to share, so we're pushing pause on our interview with David Wampamba from Uganda, and we'll pick back up in the next episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of Avant-Garde Entrepreneur. I hope you feel encouraged, equipped, empowered, and unstoppable. If you enjoyed what you heard, share it with a friend. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it here on your podcast player. Questions, comments, or feedback? Connect with me directly at trishabaileyphd.com or on social at trishabaileyphd. Now, you go and get back to making the world a better place. I'll see you back here soon.